1: Hello and welcome back to another episode of Beyond the To-Do List. I am your host, Eric Fisher, and this is the show where I talk to the people behind the productivity. This week, I'm excited to share with you a conversation I had with Ken Blanchard, as well as Randy Conley. Now, you should know that name, Ken Blanchard. He is a prolific author. I can't even tell you or list off all of the different books that he has written, but some of the ones you may be familiar with is The One Minute Manager. Both Ken and Randy have a brand new book out called Simple Truths of Leadership, 52 Ways to Be a Servant Leader and Build Trust, Making Common Sense, Common Practice, which that last phrase, I mean, peek behind the curtain here. My dad used to say something all the time that drove me nuts, which was common sense isn't very common. This is a better spin on that. Making common sense, common practice. We all know things, but it's the acting out of it, right? That makes the most difference. In this conversation, we're going to talk about trust, extending it, growing it, fostering it, building it, as well as how to create autonomy through boundaries, where some of the most important parts of leadership happen, why it is key to develop people by catching them doing something right, and much more. This book is packed We do not cover all of it, but you're gonna love what we do cover. So I'll get out of the way and say enjoy this conversation with Ken Blanchard and Randy Conley. Well, this week it is my privilege to welcome to the show Ken Blanchard and Randy Conley. Welcome to the show.
0: Good to be with you. Great to be here, Eric. Thanks for having us.
1: Yeah, glad to have you. Obviously. I could go into a bunch of different things. For example, Ken, you've written over 65 books. So I'm going to take the time right now to list all of those out. (laughs)
0: <laughs> okay we're, we're gonna be here a long time here
1: <laughs> that would I, I think would probably be the entire episode unless i speed spoke which yeah. I'm not even going to attempt to but i think one of the ones that's most recognizable especially to a productivity listener base of this show would be the one minute manager and i'm just still thinking of the fact that, that book has sold over 23 million copies and you know you're in the Amazon hall of Fame as one of the top 25 best-selling authors of all time. So it's an honor, truly. Thank you for being here.
2: Well, it's good to be with you.
1: And then, Randy, you've contributed to books as well, and we're here to talk about the new book, which is very exciting for me. One, before we get into the book, I'm curious how you decided on this book at this time in history.
2: Well, Eric, uh, my uh, mission statement starts with, I want to be a loving teacher and example of simple truths. And I recently celebrated the sixty second anniversary of my twenty first birthday. And so I said, How could I maybe pull all the truths I've been talking about for over forty years? And I've really gotten excited about servant leadership in recent years. And more Randy and I talked, the more trust and servant leadership kinda go together. servant leaders build trust and if you got trust you're really kinda serving your people. And so uh That's how it got started, isn't it, Randy?
0: Yeah, yeah. We, As Ken said, we had talked for years about writing a book, and we would dabble on it here and there, you know, and kind of put it off to the side. And when the pandemic first started in the summer of 2020, it really afforded us the luxury of time to sit down and finish it up and put a draft together, send it off to our publisher, and they said, we love it, let's do it. And so very quickly... One thing led to another. And I think it was sort of a God-appointed moment in time, I think, that it came out when it did, because people are ripe for hearing about a new message of a way to lead. You know, we've seen the effects of toxic leadership over the last several years and decades, and we're trying to encourage people that there's a better way to lead by serving others and building trust with your followers. And if you do that, you're going to be tapping into the simple truths that really provide lasting success as a leader.
1: So I think we should probably name the book, call it out, because uh, otherwise, how do they know what we're talking about?
0: It's Uh, it's the mystery book, (laughs) Derek. It's the mystery book.
1: We could play 20 questions on a podcast and see if they can guess it. Of course, they'd get fed up and probably go Google it. But anyway, the name of it, and it's perfect timing and perfect... Content at this time, Simple Truths of Leadership, 52 Ways to Be a Servant Leader and Build Trust. I'm curious, you know, we're using the words servant leader. Do you have a definition that you have that you go to for that? Obviously, leadership is one thing. Some people have maybe never heard the term servant leader. What does that mean to you?
2: Well, it's interesting, Eric. A lot of people think when I mention servant leadership to them, I'm talking about the inmates running the prison or trying to please everybody or some religious movement, but there are two parts of servant leadership. The leadership part of servant leadership is about vision, direction, values and goals because leadership's about going somewheres and that's the responsibility of the hierarchy. It doesn't mean you don't involve your people, but if your people aren't clear what they're being asked to do and what good behavior looks like, shame on you. Now once the leadership part is taken care of, now we move to the servant part and that's when you philosophically turn the pyramid upside down. And now you work for your people. Your job is to help them win, help them accomplish their goals. And when
0: you do that, that's when you really start building trust, isn't it, Randy? Yeah, yeah, it sure is. And and you could sum that up, Eric, by saying it's being of service to others, right? It's putting other people's needs and interests ahead of your own and focusing on how you can help others be the best they can be. And... There's this sort of you know, universal principle that you reap what you sow, and the more you pour into other people and serve them, the more it's going to come back to you as a leader and fuel your own success. So it's really a win-win situation.
2: And uh, Eric, the book is really organized in an interesting way. On the left-hand side of the page is A Simple Truth, and there's 26 of those on servant Leadership that I kind of focus my energy on. Then there's 26 on building trust, which Randy focused. And the first one under servant leadership is a powerful one we're talking about, is that servant leadership is the only way that we know to get both results and relationships, great results and great relationship. Tell them how you deal with that, Randy,
0: in your sessions. Yeah, we started with that simple truth because it illustrates an important principle, Eric. When I work with groups, I'll often write on the whiteboard or flip chart three words, results and relationships. And I'll ask the group, which one of these words is most important to being a successful leader? Inevitably, you get sort of half the group that argues for results, right? We're in business to make a profit or, you know, hit the numbers, we've got to produce something. And then the other half will say, well, I think it's relationships, right? If if you don't have good relationships, you're not going to be able to get to those results. There's always a few people that say, well, I think maybe it's the word and. And I'm like, yes, it's the word and, the power of and. Servant leaders understand they have to achieve both great relationships and great results. And you can't focus on one or the other, because then you either do a detriment to the organization if you only focus on relationships, and if you only focus on results, you neglect the importance of relationships. So it's it's really a both-and philosophy.
1: Well, speaking of that, you've got this word as a modifier, the servant word as a modifier of the leader or leadership word. But it's funny to me that I think of the word leadership, and I think, Well, the way you're describing a servant leader really is true leadership, but we've gotten so used to poor leadership that we've had to throw that servant modifier on the front of it to give better clarity to it, even though, again, a servant leader really is true leadership.
0: That's for sure. Yeah. Great insight there, Eric. And Kim and I like to say that probably the number one challenge for any leaders is getting their own ego out of the way right? Our ego is our number one enemy to being a servant leader. And we get so wrapped up in the power, the prestige, the title, you know, and all that comes with that. And and, and we think to ourselves, yes, now that I'm the boss, I finally get to tell people what to do, right? Like I get to issue all the marching orders. That may get you some short-term success, but it won't provide long-term effectiveness. So, Kim, maybe you should share about the Egos Anonymous process that you created. Yeah. Well, one of the
2: things that, since we think it's the biggest issue out there with leadership, we decided to develop a 12 step Egos Anonymous program. And it's really kind of fun because uh, it goes right through the steps set, like AA. You got to first identify, you know, that that's an issue for you. And, and all it goes that through that. And it's interesting. We got several companies where the managers, when they meet with their people once a week, the first thing they do is have an egos anonymous meeting. And if you know anything about AA or any of those, it's voluntary. So people will stand up and say, Hi, I'm Ken. And what everybody say, hi, Ken. And then I say, I'm an egomaniac. And then I have to talk because there's two ways your egos get in the way. One is false pride when you have a more than philosophy. You think you're brighter than, smarter than, than all. And then the other one is fear or self-doubt when you have a less-than philosophy. So people have to share, and egos goes now on this meeting, anytime the last week when either false pride or fear or self-doubt got in their way. And we always said, if you can't think of one thing during the week where your ego got in the way, you lie about other things too. <laughs> wow. So uh, it's good fun. But it's very powerful.
1: Very cool. Well, yeah. I mean, I know my ego's already gotten in the way of myself today, and I'll confess that right here, right now, and I will start working the steps. So
0: <laughs> <laughs> join the club, Eric. All of us.
1: Yes. Yes. Have that challenge. I think it's that transparency and honesty and disclosure of that that allows people to start to build trust. That's what the book is about trust and truth. And Essentially, you can't have one without the other. I'm curious, though, if we're stepping into this role of a servant leader, or we're already in a leadership position, but maybe we haven't adopted some of those servant attributes that we need to, what are some of the first steps? We've heard the definition. We've grabbed the book. We're starting to go through it. How do we start to implement servant leadership aspects to our leadership in terms of our team, whether we're extending trust or building trust within the team, building trust of ourselves as a leader? That's a loaded question with multi prongs. So,
2: Well, you know, Eric, the key thing to remember about servant leadership and building trust is you don't do it to people, you do it with people. And so if all of a sudden you read something or you hear something, and you say, boy, I'd like to really be a servant leader to go to your people and said, you know, let me tell you about something I heard a little bit about recently. And and I love to see how we could, you know, create servant leadership in our work together. What do you all think about this concept? And how do you think I could best serve you? And how could you best serve me? Because our big philosophy, Eric, is it's about we, not me. And the self-serving leaders, think all the brains, all the intelligence and everything is in their office and they want everybody sucking up the hierarchy where the servant leader feels good about themselves enough that they are anxious to involve their people it's interesting a lot of people say well wow i'm not sure i want to admit that i don't know everything you know i i wrote a book with colleen barrett who became the president of southwest airlines when herbs keller stepped down she had a favorite saying that i love she said People admire your skills, but they love your vulnerability. And when you go to your team and so on and say, man, I, I wish I had it all together. And they don't say, how did this idiot get the job? I ought to be the leader. They go, wow, this is going to be fun because this is about
0: we rather than him or her. Yeah. Another point that I would add to that, Eric, your question was, well, how do you get started right in this? And simple truth number 30 in our book says, someone must make the first move to extend trust. Leaders, you go first. Mm -hmm. So the nature of trust involves risk, right? That's the very definition of trust is putting yourself at risk, making yourself vulnerable to the actions of another. And until someone makes that first move to extend trust, you've got a stalemate right? Trust cannot grow until someone first extends it. Ernest Hemingway famously said, the best way to find out if a person is trustworthy is to trust them. (laughs) So leaders, you have to go first. You have to first extend trust to your people, show them that you trust them and let them reciprocate in turn by giving their trust back to you. Too many leaders think well, just because I've got the title on my office door, that means I'm automatically trusted, And that's not the case. You have to first extend it, and then it will come back to you.
1: Just because you have the title, that means you have the authority. That means you have the, the hierarchy in the chain of command. You have the reporting order, but that doesn't yeah. necessarily mean you've automatically instilled trust And and so you extend it. That's not something you're, again, to to quote your words, that's not something you're doing to them. It's something you're extending with them.
0: Right. And trust and power are closely connected, right? And too many leaders, because they've got the title and they've got the hierarchical power, that that means they're trusted. But Ken always shares a story about uh, his dad when Ken, won the presidency of his student body when he was a young kid, what his dad said. You want to share that story, Ken?
2: Yeah, my dad was an interesting guy, Eric. He retired as an admiral in the Navy and was quite a guy. But I came home, I'm all pumped up. I'm president, you know. And he said, Ken, now you're president. Your leadership training begins. Now you're president. Don't ever use your position. Remember, great leaders are great because people trust and respect them, not because they have power. He said it's a myth in, in the military. It's always my way or the highway. He said, sure, in battle, somebody's got to call the shots. But if you act like you're a big deal over your people and all that on a constant basis, they will shoot you before the enemy. (laughs) Wow. So uh, he, he was really kind of my mentor of leadership, particularly servant leadership.
1: Fathers who were servant leaders. I almost said student leaders. But student leaders can be servant leaders, right?
2: <laughs> That's right, sure.
1: The other key piece here, I think, and this is not to put the onus on the team members per se, but I heard what you said when you said the leader goes first or the leader is the one that extends the trust. I don't think that many team members see themselves as leaders although they probably are. We all have leadership roles that we're playing. So it's not just to say that if I'm in a position where I report to someone and they've not extended trust to me, I shouldn't take the initiative and try to extend it to them and start that conversation slash relationship furthering from my end.
0: Yes, you're exactly right, Eric. I agree with you. Just because we specifically call out the responsibility of leaders to be role models and go first, it's really a principle that applies to everyone, right? Anyone who wants to develop trust in a relationship needs to take that risk of extending trust to the other person. Otherwise, you're at a stalemate. You know, somebody's got to go first. Somebody has to go first or else you're never going to build trust. So, hey, everybody. Let's all be self-leaders, and let's take that first step. Eric, it's important to understand, though, when you were talking about trust, that you just don't
2: turn over responsibility to people and then disappear. One of our simple truths ties into SL2, which is our situational approach to effective leadership, because we say you not only have to use different strokes for different folks, because people are at different levels of development in terms of competence and commitment, but you also have to use different strokes for the same folks at different parts of their job because a person might be in the financial part, know more about it than you, and you can really delegate to them. But in some other area, they might need direction and supervision and, and help as you build trust uh, with them. So it's a it's an ongoing process.
1: I'm curious, we're talking about, you know, not just extending trust and responsibility and then walking away, but I think In the remote world of work that we're now living in more so than ever before, there is a certain amount of autonomy that has been granted in that. I'm curious what your thoughts are in terms of trust and autonomy in the remote work world.
0: It's so interesting you bring that up, Eric. One of our simple truths speaks to that very truth. Simple truth number 12, create autonomy through boundaries. I think people often think autonomy just means letting people run free, run wild, do what you want to do, right? You've got total freedom. That's not the case. Ken wrote a book years ago with a couple of our colleagues, Alan Randolph and John Carlos called Empowerment Takes More Than a Minute. And one of the metaphors they used in that book was a river without banks is nothing more than a large puddle, right? Mm -hmm. The banks of a river channel the water and the energy where it goes, right? Boundaries channel people's energy, their autonomy. And that gets back to what Ken said about servant leadership is the leadership part is you set the boundaries. What are the boundaries? The goals, the vision, the direction, where we're headed, right? Those are the boundaries. Then within those boundaries, you extend trust. You give people autonomy to use their brains, right? We hire people because they're smart, they're talented. Use their brains, help them achieve their goals within those boundaries. So you can't go off to the extremes on any of these simple truths. You have to use common sense, hence the tagline of our book, Making Common Sense, Common Practice. You
2: know, you get a kick out of America.
0: Initially, we wanted to call this book, Duh!
2: Why isn't common sense common practice? But our publishers said that duh doesn't translate in a lot of foreign languages. <laughs> but uh, a lot of these simple truths we really are saying is, duh, <laughs> you know, this is this really makes sense. You know, like one of my favorites, uh, if somebody said to me, Blanchard, I'm going to take everything away from you that you've taught for over 40 years. But one thing, what would I hold on to? I'd really probably hold on to the second secret of The One Minute Manager. It's just the key to developing people and create a great organization is to wander around and catch people doing things right and praise them. People love to see bosses come by when they know they might get caught doing something right. Rather than most people, when they see a boss coming, they hide, (laughs) you know, because they think that they're, they're going to get caught doing something wrong. And so we are going to push the positive aspect
0: of it. Isn't that so true, Eric? I mean, it's like, Whether you work remotely or in the office, it's like, what? What's the boss doing in our Zoom meeting today, right? Did somebody do something wrong? Like, like what's going on? Wow, imagine that. You just drop into a Zoom meeting to tell your team how great they're doing, right? Or congrats on that last project that you completed. You know, imagine that. I often ask people when I'm talking to groups, I'll say, raise your hand if you are just sick and tired of all the praise you're getting at work. Nobody ever raises their hand, Eric. Nobody says I'm getting too much praise. People want to know that they're doing good work, and leaders—that's such a powerful tool to praise and recognize people.
2: And the key, one of our key uh, learnings too, is that you need to not wait for exactly right praise behavior before you praise. Praise progress because it's a moving target, and that—that that means that when you. Start with goals. The goal is going to be observable and measurable so you and your people can be watching the movement in a positive direction or in a negative direction.
1: I'm glad you brought up the secrets of the one-minute manager because you've incorporated some of those tips into this book. And I thought, like you're talking about, praising progress and catch people when they're doing something good or they're performed right. I think another aspect of that, especially as it ties into trust, is that if someone's off track, if they're not getting caught doing something good, we all make mistakes. We all get off track. And it's about our approach to how we redirect somebody. We don't reprimand them. We redirect them when they're off track. I love that because I personally, I need that a lot. So,
2: Well, it's interesting. We wrote The New Woman and Manager about five or six years ago. One of the big changes we changed the one minute reprimand, which is to one minute redirects, because one of the things we found, Eric, with the young people today is that they don't like top down leadership. You know, they're not looking up the hierarchy. What they really want is side by side leadership. Doesn't mean they want your job, but they want to know that they can have an impact on what's going on. And I think that's a, that's a powerful thing.
1: Very much so. Yeah, I think for me, it's it's always been a sign of a good leader. One, again, that they're, they're praising not just progress. And if I've not completed a project, that at least as the progress is being made, they're praising. But then also the fact that if I'm not making the progress that I need to be making, they come alongside and they work with you. Again, it's a relationship. It's not a, a directive. Do this, bark orders, et cetera.
2: That's right. They say, you know, the, the performance in this area doesn't look like what we had talked about. Do you agree? Then i always agree. What I want to know is how can I help you get on track, you know,
0: not how can I, you know, put the finger on you? I'm here to help. Yeah. We like the analogy that Jim Collins used in his book, Good to Great, where he talks about level five leaders, which are really servant leaders, you know. When things go well, they look out the window and give the praise and credit to their team. But when things don't go so well, they look in the mirror, right? And they look and examine themselves. What did I do or not do to set my team up for success? We think that's a great practice for servant leaders is look out the window, catch your team doing something right. If things are going wrong, check yourself in the mirror first and see what you did or didn't do to set your team up to succeed.
1: And part of that is another secret of the one-minute manager that all good performance starts with clear goals. So part of the setting up for success is a consensus and a clarity on what those goals are and what the incremental steps are to not just make progress towards them, but hit them.
2: Yeah, and Eric, it's important to remember there's three parts of managing people's performance. There's performance planning, and that's where you set the goals and objectives and, and all. And if you're going to use SL2 in a situational approach, you'd analyze development level and what style is needed. Then is day-to-day coaching, which is now how do you help them win? And then the last one is performance evaluation. But you probably would guess this when I go around the world and ask people of those three things, planning. Coaching and evaluation. Where do you spend the most time? And most people say evaluation. Why? Because they're filling out all these stupid forms on people. And one of the things that you know Gary Ridge, the president, WD Forty, and I have worked closely together. We wrote a book together called "Help People Win at Work." And the subtitle is really important: a business philosophy called "Don't Mark My Paper; Help Me Get an A." Because we think once the goals are set, the real emphasis is on day-to-day coaching. And how do you help people accomplish their goals? Your, not, your job is not to sit around with your arms folded, judging and evaluating. You're supposed to roll up your sleeves and say, good, how do we get you an A average? So that's a pretty powerful thing. And uh, when well, they did it last at WD 40, they did a, an employee engagement score. You know what it was? 92%. Wow. You, know, I mean, you just don't have those, you know, because everybody knows that the manager is part of the
0: team. And they're part of the team. And uh, that really builds the morale. I could imagine, Eric, a lot of your listeners knowing that they're into productivity and being more efficient and, you know, maximizing their time. They're probably thinking, boy, all the servant leadership and building trust, it sounds like it takes a lot of time, right? It's like, I've got my to-do list I got to check off, right? And it actually saves you time. If you invest time in the beginning set your people up for success, it saves you so much time down the road rather than dealing with performance challenges and cleaning up messes and having all those conversations. Set the goals clearly in the beginning. Stay in touch with your folks. Every couple of weeks, have at least a 30 minute one-on-one meeting. Check in on how they're doing with their goals and help them problem solve if they need it. You know, then when it comes time for the evaluation, whether you do a quarterly eval or a yearly or whatever your model is, all your work should be done, right? If you've been doing all those things up to that point, it's a matter of just checking the box saying, yep, person got an A. Let's celebrate that. Let's go on to the next project.
1: Yeah. And the thing is, is that it sounds like a lot of homework. It sounds like a lot of, oh, I've got to check in on everybody constantly. No, again, flip the perspective that it's not that you have reports, you have a team and yes. you you are part of that team. That's and right. so again, once some of that trust has been built, even if it's not been there prior to this, again, this is part of the drive by checking in and catching somebody doing something right, offering help in the new world of remote work in Slack or a text message or something along those lines, especially if you've built up that a message from you isn't an emergency every time right. you touch base with them, right. Um, right. that as long as you've started to set that pattern of servant leadership for your team, that they will feel comforted, feel empowered, feel that your presence is an active presence for good and help and that you're equipping them, not just with trust, but with your time and attention and a check-in A quick line in Slack just saying, hey, I hope you're having a great day. You haven't any issues you need me to help you with or any roadblocks that I can help clear the way, something along those lines with that language.
0: i like to say, Eric, that a leader's best ability is their availability. You want to know what your priority is as a leader? Look at your calendar. Look at your calendar for the last month. Where have you been spending your time? Are you spending time with your people, staying in touch with them? Or are you sort of doing your own thing and your own meetings? We have to put a disclaimer out there. Here's the disclaimer for our book. Simple does not equal easy. Simple does not always equal easy. These are simple truths. And like most things in life, the common sense, simple things we know work often take effort. Being a leader is a tough job, right? It requires time and effort and commitment. but if you keep focused on the simple truths, it's the old 8020 rule, right? The simple truths are going to get you 80% of the way there to being a successful leader.
1: Yeah, we've talked about the 8020 rule a couple of different times in podcast episodes on this show. And I always think of the lever and the fulcrum and just you adjust that and a little bit of effort goes a long way. Does't mean it's easy, but once you can find that sweet spot of leveraging 8020, it's just so much more powerful.
0: Yeah, that's
1: right. I'm curious, we've talked a lot about trust. What if in the inevitability that trust is broken, we have to mend that trust, repair that trust? What's that process look like?
0: You know, I think first I would say there's a myth about trust and we've all heard it. You've probably heard the statement, trust takes a long time to build and just a a second to break, right? And I would question that and say, Well, the level of trust probably was not that strong to begin with if it can just break like that. That can be true in the most egregious forms of betrayal, but generally trust is very resilient. But if you find yourself eroding trust, there's three basic steps you can follow to get trust back on track. The first one, like Ken was saying with the ego's anonymous process, you've got to acknowledge that you've got an issue, right? Trust is not one of those topics that we often talk about openly, you know. It's usually not something we even think about until we don't have it. So first you have to acknowledge that there's an issue, and then you have to apologize. I like to say between Ken and I, we are foremost experts on apologizing because between the two of us, we've been married a combined uh what, ninety three years, almost ninety-four years to our spouses. So we've had to do a lot of apologizing, Eric, over the years. Uh, uh, You can't underestimate the power of an effective apology. But then the third step is really the most important, and that is you have to act differently. You have to act in more trustworthy ways moving forward. You can apologize till the cows come home, but if you don't change your behavior and start to rebuild trust, it's not going to matter. So acknowledge, apologize, and act. What would you add, Ken, to restoring trust?
2: Well, the, uh, Randy's talking about marriage there. My Dan, I told you, was kind of my mentor. He said, Ken, the key to a successful marriage is to learn to say, yes, ma'am. <laughs> but uh, no, trust is something that uh, doesn't go away quickly if it's been built right. The thing needs to be one where if there's a problem, you go honestly and say, gee, this thing isn't quite going the way we had talked about it. I, i'm not sure what's happening here you know i want you to be able to say the same thing to me because trust has got to go both ways and openness and, and honesty you know one of my favorite sayings is when all else fails you know you know try honesty you know <laughs> so it's uh it's really is uh it's true when in doubt confront but when all else fails try honesty <laughs>
1: Wow. Very, very excellent advice there. I'm trying to think now we've talked a lot about trust. We've been talking a lot of truth, but we haven't necessarily talked truth specifically. Let's spin over to that side of the book. Uh, I'm curious in terms of being a servant leader, where does truth play into that?
2: Well, truth is truth and consequences. You know, I think you got to be honest with your people and you tell them your truth. But then you always sort of say, "Is how, how does that settle with you? Am I mistaken? Do you have a, a different viewpoint?" You know, again, it's always that dialogue. Is it you're not the master of all the truth, but together, you and your team can probably come up with a total truth. So, do you
0: think, Randy? Yeah, that's that's really a deep philosophical question area. Yeah. You know, I mean, wow, we could we could have a 100 podcasts talking about what is truth, right? How do you define that? But it reminds me that when we're talking about truth, there's usually three versions of the truth, right? There's like my version, the other person's version, and what the reality is, right? And it's coming to a agreement on where we land, as Ken was saying, in that. And I think one of the beauties of servant leadership and being a trusted servant leader is you're other focused. You're focused on serving the best interests and needs of those people that you're you're serving, that you're leading. And when you do that, people understand that you have their best interests at heart. And they understand a critical truth, which is you mean them no harm you mean them no harm. You're there to help, to help them be their best. And when you create that sort of environment, which is essentially, I'm talking about an environment of psychological safety without saying that, right? That people feel free to be themselves without fear of punishment or recrimination. You create that environment of safety that allows these rich, honest, authentic discussions. And so when you have Conflict or debate over what's truth or what's the right way versus the wrong way, or you know, all the shades of gray that come into daily life. You can have a genuine, open conversation about that because you know you're on the same side of the table, right? You're on the same team, you have that person's best interests at heart. So, I, I think that's an important truth to keep in mind.
1: It makes me think of what we talked about earlier where you said it, it's simple, it's not easy. And that right. it's worthwhile to do that. Even if you've progressed this far in life without having implemented a lot of what you're talking about in this book, there's still time to retroactively start doing that now and have it heal relationships, build more trust, better relationships with your team, your yep. family, etc. that all of that can be done. And it's worthwhile and it, and it can feel like a lot of extra homework that may not feel like it's worth doing because it's a lot of extra work, but like most productivity things, it saves you time in the long run by putting in this work and this investment now. It's the whole invest now instead of invest later, because later the interest hasn't compounded.
0: Right. We live in a soundbite culture. Our 21st century culture, we have become accustomed to getting what we want, when we want, how we want it. Amazon, technology, Zoom meetings, I want to connect with someone in Europe. I can connect with them instantaneously, right? That's wonderful. There's many great things about that. But on the downside, I think it's also conditioned us that we want our relationships to function just as quickly and smoothly, you know? And, and we just want things to be easy and we don't have to work at it and put in the time and the effort. And that's not the way it works with leadership. Because leadership is all about relationships and people. One of my leadership mentors, Barbara Hart, who's a longtime colleague of ours at the company, she told me, Randy, people are messy. People are messy. Leadership is messy. And it takes time. It takes effort. So we've got to resist that urge to just want things to be quick and easy.
2: But it's a a wonderful opportunity because you mentioned earlier, Eric, you know, whether people want to bid it or not, they're leaders. You know, you're leaders at home with your spouse, with your kids, you know, with your friends and, as as well as work. And even though you have a boss and maybe don't have people report to you, you have a chance to influence up the hierarchy and you have a chance to influence your colleagues. And so uh, the question is, are you focused on yourself or are you focused on we?
1: Honestly, that's a great question to land on. I think we all need to be asking that. And then we all need to go grab the book. I've already gone through it, but the listeners probably have not. That's because they're hearing this for the first time. But, one, thank you so much for being here and sharing your time, your experience, your expertise. Let's point people towards where they can find the book. It's been out for a couple of months now. Is there a place where they can get a preview, check it out, get a little more insight into the chapter breakdown all of that good stuff.
0: Yes, we certainly can. Our book has its own website, simpletruths ofleadership.com. So, simpletruths ofleadership.com. If you go there, there's a welcome video from Ken and I talking about the genesis of the book, what it's about. You can download a sample chapter, you can look at the table of contents, and of course you can jump to all your other favorite bookseller websites if if you would like to purchase it. You could uh, also follow Ken and I on Twitter at Ken Blanchard or at Randy Connolly. Pretty simple. Check out our company website, KenBlanchard.com. You can get more information there. Connect with us on LinkedIn. Ken and I love to engage with folks on LinkedIn and in social media. So look us up. We're not hard to find, Eric. You can find us. Perfect.
1: <laughs> perfect. I will make sure to grab the links for all of that that you just mentioned and put it in the show notes for the listener to be able to find that. Quick and easy, Ken, Randy, thank you so much for your time, and thanks for sharing.
2: Well, thank you, Eric. This was a real joy and fun to be with you. Yeah, thank you, Eric.
1: Well, that's another podcast crossed off your listening to-do list. I hope that you enjoyed this episode with Ken Blanchard and Randy Conley. I really enjoyed speaking with both of them and their wealth of expertise and experience. And truth be told, we scratched the surface of this new book from them when it comes to this conversation. So there's so much more to dive into when it comes to this book. So you can grab it by going to the links in the show notes, which you can find at beyond the to do list.com or just open them up in your podcast player app of choice. That's also where you can do me the favor of hitting the share button and sharing this episode with somebody that you know needs to hear it and would benefit from it. Do them that favor, do me that favor, and pass it on. Thank you so much for sharing. Thank you again for listening. And I will see you next episode.